0: Hey there, my name is Jonathan Galvan and I'm one of the pastors at Redeemer. Uh, We're so glad that you're tuning in to this sermon and we pray that this sermon would be an encouragement to you. So please enjoy. We have a a special guest that if you've been around Redeemer for a few years, he is not going to be new to you, but many of you he probably will be. Uh, Eugene, or Yevgeny in his native language, uh, is here with us this morning, and he's been a mission partner of ours for many, many years now. Uh, He is uh, a pastor and a church planter and trains church planters in Moldova, uh, which is just southwest of Ukraine. And uh, he has been training and sending and serving uh, in an incredible way, really over the years towards some other countries that uh, Americans just simply can't go to. And so he is able to send church planters and missionaries into some difficult uh, places that desperately need the gospel. And so we've partnered with him much over the years. Uh, we have sent teams there short term. We have sent money there and often sent our prayers. Um, but as you well know, last year when Russia invaded uh, Ukraine, uh, many of those refugees ended up in Moldova. Uh, Ukraine is uh, something to the tune of 40 million people. And uh, when Russia invaded, 8 million of those uh, were dispersed somewhere. 1 million went through Moldova, and at least 100,000 people stayed in Moldova, uh, most in Kishinev, in the capital city where they are. And that's a lot of people. And so last year, a lot of their efforts shifted uh, towards trying to take care and love and serve refugees. And so some of you know this, many of you do, some of you may not. We raised some money uh, to send to him last year uh, to help support and love and feed uh, a a lot of refugees. So one, I wanted to say thank you uh, for that, for your generosity and your sacrifice for sending some money to help Eugene. Uh, And also I wanted to make sure that you put a face with the name because we've got uh, our first trip since 2020 going overseas back to Moldova this summer. Um, So I am encouraged uh, by that. Uh, We have uh, an interest meeting actually today at Murray's at 1230. uh, If you're interested in hearing more about uh, that short-term trip, the end of July, early August, uh, to go with, uh, with Yevgeny and help serve in Moldova so. I asked Yevgeny a couple uh, weeks ago if he wanted to jump in and just preach uh, in line with where we are at in Matthew chapter 6, uh, and he said yes, but then a few days ago he he called me and said, uh, I, I feel like the Lord's stirring me and kind of changing gears, and there's a text that's about two or three weeks out from today um, that just hit a very specific uh, chord in his heart and with uh, the past things that he has walked through, and he said he would love to preach that, so uh, what, what Yevgeny wants, Yevgeny gets, and so I I am excited that he's going to preach not just God's word, uh, but something that is very near and dear to his heart. Uh, We have a little video that we want to show you before he comes up here uh, to open God's word with us. Uh, It's really a highlight video showing us just some baptisms that they have had um, there in Moldova uh, recently. And um, just it's a really incredible thing that God is doing there. So let me invite you to turn your attention to the screen and let's watch this together.
1: Well, thank you so much, Pastor Jason. Uh, Thank you to the leadership uh, of Redeemer. Thank you, family of Redeemer. Um, uh, We very much love you and appreciate you. We've been blessed in Moldova in so many ways. And um, uh, I would like to share with you today from my heart. Um, As I prayed, um, I wanted to share with you that... Some of you have heard that I'm Jewish, uh, I'm eight Jewish. Some of you heard me about a year and a half ago when I visited. But some probably didn't uh, notice that I'm also a quarter Ukrainian. And so when this whole situation started panning out, it uh, came a little bit too close to home, uh, not just because uh, the country of Ukraine was being invaded. But uh, because my grandfather was from Kiev and my grandmother was from Dnipro, uh, I spent many, many, many months uh, visits there as a child. And uh, we also knew this could be a situation that will come our way. Moldova is a neutral country. It's a state of the former USSR. And uh, we are one of the smallest countries in Eastern Europe. We are the poorest country of Eastern Europe. And yet we are the choke point for the people who are coming from Eastern and Southern Ukraine, uh, coming into Moldova, because we all also speak Russian, and this is where people could feel safety. So, as somebody who connects with a lot of Westerners, I've received a lot of emails. I uh, received emails about the potential threats uh, probably throughout the whole month of February. So we went with our team and we, made a, we, we decided we're going to pray. We made a plan of what we're going to do should uh, this situation happen. And so as we made the plan, it, we didn't know that as we were getting together with about 24 pastors to pray and dream on the, in the post-pandemic Moldova how we're going to plant new churches. We were meeting on February 24, 2022. And some of us, as we came in at 11.30, some heard the explosions of bombs happening in Odessa. We tried to make joke, you know, sometimes that awkward time when you realize your life is not going to be the same, you're still trying to live your normal life. We ate, we prayed, and Moldova Church went to the border. Went to convert the churches into the shelter centers, and so on, and so on. And uh, I've been sharing some of this through our website. But I'd like to share with you some things. You know, I really appreciate Jason's introduction. So I'm the teaching pastor of the church. Um, some of you have heard my testimony. I came out of the gang culture during the Soviet times. I uh, basically came to know the Lord by coming to church to beat somebody up. Uh, We, I mean, I saw some security guys in the front. I'm like, we didn't have that. And I'm glad because I probably would never have gotten to the church. Um, But God got me before I got the guy. Uh, Years later, I became the teaching pastor of that very church. Today, I serve as the teaching pastor. I'm the president of the seminary. We train leaders. But um, I've also, in addition to the church planting network leader, I've added one more title or one more point to my resume. Some of you where small groups uh, when I shared this week uh, you heard uh, the story about this van in fact I just told you about this van but I told you I'll tell you the story on a Sunday morning so I'm hoping you're here so one of the mornings I got a phone call I got a phone call from uh, my neighbor who happens to be a Moldovan mp uh a congressman he asked me to do him a favor he knew that as christians we set up a safety passage for the people that are entering moldova we set up uh tents on the ukrainian side we fed people on the ukrainian side many waiting for as many as 48 hours to enter with their car or walking about 12 miles to get to the country They're coming in, we were there with transportation, transporting them to the refugee centers. We were feeding them and also helping them transfer to the Western European countries, to the final destination, all that to help prevent human trafficking. So we wanted to be that one Christian phone number, that one Christian, body that is going to touch their lives. So he heard of that. He knew that we were working with that. He asked me for a favor. He said, there's this group of kids that are now living across Ukraine and they have this special syndrome. These kids have uh, intolerance to proteins. Uh, and so across Ukraine, because there's so many of them, they make an order every two weeks. In Moldova, it's a small country. Our government, uh, through the research center was making an order once a year. So we had a full storage when their supply lines were completely destroyed, especially in the first several weeks of the war. So what happened was he needed me to go and take a delivery. I, uh, in the morning, went and uh, delivered some mattresses distributed from our church. I picked up the van, went to the distribution center, uh, to this uh, research center, together with this MP. We loaded up a van. He said 600 pounds worth of food. It ended up being 2,000. I drove the van to a grocery store, we filled it up with uh, mixes for tea and soups and uh, disposable uh, plasticware so that we can feed people on the border. Uh, Another pastor, a buddy of mine, uh, rode with me about two and a half hours to the border. I was doing counseling, he had some family issues. About 10 miles away from the border, I got pulled over by the police. And I'm thinking, oh man, they're going to ask for a bribe." Well, long story short, they wanted me to give a ride to this elderly lady and her granddaughter to the border of Ukraine. That is still when the fleet of Russians were about to do the landing in Odessa. And so as we're driving and I'm asking her, why are you going back to Odessa? That's the, she, she goes, this is my home. Well, aren't you afraid the Russians are gonna come in and take over? She goes, well, we've been here a couple of weeks, but we need to go home, that is our land. I'm gonna go fight. I'm thinking, you're gonna go fight? She goes, well, there's a ho- across the street from my house, there's a school, there's territorial defense boys there. I'm just gonna go cook for them. My granddaughter's gonna help me. And that's the day when I became jealous of the Ukrainian people because they are a nation. They are a people. And so, getting to the border, I'm driving through the border through a little bit of turmoil. As the crowd of people gathering, you can imagine this crowd. I'm driving the van with the blinkers on, with guys standing with machine guns, sort of like looking at what is this guy doing? I get to the other side of the border. We arranged for a couple of Ukrainian drivers. We're loading stuff. One of the guys with machine guns comes and starts asking me, so what is this? I'm beginning to talk to him like, hey, this is some noodles, it's some specialty, it's good for people. And I'm just hoping that I can load up the cars and just leave. And that moment I realized, I'm a smuggler. I'm in Ukraine in a car that doesn't belong to me with no paperwork for the food that I just delivered. We're moving it from car to car. I had didn't show my passport. I mean, I am here like in a foreign country. So teaching pastor, seminary president, visionary leader for church planting, and I'm a smuggler. Anybody offering a job? I'm just kidding. So I want to share with you a few stories, uh, but I want to also look into the Word of God. Before I look into the Word of God, I want to give you a preview. One of the key things that we've seen is we were putting the Word of God into our hearts for all the years prior. And I have to confess before you, for the first several months of the war situation, I was preparing sermons, but I wasn't spending time with the Lord in a quiet time. It was a very stressful time. It was the time when we were thinking about that we will be in that group of refugees going further westward. We thought we were going to lose everything. We were very worried. We thought about what's going to happen to our homes, what's going to happen to our families. We were making plans. And honestly, at first when my wife asked me a few weeks later, so what have you been reading in the word of God? What is God telling you? It dawned on me I wasn't. Now I was doing my job, I was preparing sermons, but as pastor who have been there for over 19 years, preaching every Sunday almost, it was easy to prepare sermons. I mean, I've known some of those passages, but you know, I started to realize that for all these years that the Word of God has been placed into my heart since the time I came to church and heard the gospel preached for the first time and responded and was justified and was changed, and lost all the desire to kill the bullies that made my life miserable in school, every single time that Word of God was planted in my heart, it was working through this whole ordeal. I received this photo from a friend. It's a network of churches, part of our church planting network in Ukraine, from Pastor Pavel. He sent me this photo in July before it made any national magazines. I'm sure you probably have seen it and and heard it uh, later. But that's a church that KBC started helping from the very beginning. We met Pastor Pavel earlier in June, and we were doing a lot of things with him. And he sends this photo, and he says, this is the lady from Lugansk. On the first days of the war, she was heading to church. She was carrying a bag. As she was heading to church carrying a bag, a shell exploded but six feet away from her. A piece of the shell, shrapnel, went into her bag, went through her Bible and right toward her heart and stopped about one inch away from her heart. And she was rushed to the hospital. She was saved. The doctors told her that you are saved because the, the, the shrapnel was slowed down. And she's standing there, a sister in Christ, in the town of Uman. She was a displaced person. Her town was overtaken. And she's standing there and showing this Bible. And she basically is giving a testimony of how the Word of God saved her life. You know? I just couldn't help, you know, this is an image of what the Word of God does to us, literally, when we put the Word of God into our hearts. When we're reading it, when we're studying it, whenever the life troubles are going to come our way, the Word of God begins to work. Now, here is just an allegory. But that image continues to follow me to this day. So I'd like to read with you a portion of scripture from the Sermon on the Mount. It's uh, chapter 6, verse 25 and on. We're going to read to the end of the chapter. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is it not more than food? Isn't life, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into the barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more than valuable, more value than they? Which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the fields, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like the one, like one of these. But if God so closes the grass of the fields, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious about, do not be anxious. Saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble in the very beginning of this chapter and you have already heard a couple of sermons and you have great teachers here here Jesus is talking about the practicing of righteousness in verse one of chapter six he says when you practice your righteousness and then he begins to talk about our prayer life he talks about helping the poor he talks about fasting he talks about the treasures and then he leads to this passage where he talks about being anxious. And he says the issue is that the source for all of us is God. He says the Father in heaven is that source that we need today. God is our source. But the question is when you are facing war, when you are facing pain, when you are facing crowds of people and you don't even know who to help because Every time you try to help one person they're standing, where is God in the midst of the trouble? Where is God in the midst of the difficulties? Isn't that the question that many of us have asked before when we were facing a doctor's call or a phone call from a loved one about troubles in the family or a financial crisis? We're asking sometimes, God, where are you in the midst of this? Why is this happening? Redeemer, you've been very, very generous. One of the things that you have done, literally, is when in the first weeks we received so many calls for the need. This young lady, she works for Young Life in Ukraine. She's from Odessa. She and her husband just happened to be in Moldova on a visit when the war began. They came to me and they asked, we need some help. We have a church in Mykolaiv, which is a little bit further down from Odessa toward the front. And between Mykolaiv and Kherson that has been overtaken by Russians, there is a small town. They're asking from Mykolaiv if we could provide this specialty food. It's a gluten-free type of a formula for children, for the very small children. And they asked for $3,000 so that we would go and we would pay at a local store that had that in stock. It was a lot of money. But we knew that your generosity blessed us. And as we looked at it and we trusted in the relationship, I personally went there, we negotiated with the owner, we bought them out, we helped load up that car, I took a receipt and a photo with this lady, I thought I will never see her again. But when she emailed me two days later and said, Pastor, you will not believe what happened because she drove there car, the husband stayed in Moldova because if he went back into Ukraine, he would not be allowed out. She drove that car to Mykolaiv, and the food from Mykolaiv was delivered to this maternity hospital where the ladies were hiding in the basement for over two weeks. And as the volunteers came to evacuate them from the basement, they found that there were 16 babies with their mothers, yet only one lady was able to feed. The other ladies, because of the stress, lost all the milk. And for two weeks, that lady was feeding 16 babies. And so when they got out, that was the formula. It was right there. And the volunteers were able to provide this food for the malnourished Nourished kids. So let me ask you, when Jesus says, why do you worry about tomorrow? Why do you worry about what to wear, what to eat? Are you not more valuable than the flowers? Are you not more valuable than the birds? When I saw that story, it blessed my heart. Every time I look at this photo, every time I remember that story, it encourages me because I know God was right there in the midst of this crisis. He was right there in the midst of pain. And I heard story upon story upon story where God would intervene into the people's lives and reveal himself. In the middle of the pain, they knew that they can cry out to him and he was right there at the right moments to come and help them. It's like Paul later says in Philippians that my God will supply your every need according to his riches and glory. He knew Jesus, he met him on the road to Damascus. And just like Jesus speaks in the Sermon on the Mount about God being the provider, he says, God will supply all your needs, every need. Just notice it doesn't say want. But it's interesting that we've, just another little point. One of our guys came out and said, we would like to start delivering food into Ukraine. It was still when the Russians were advancing toward Kiev. There was still one road open. And this buddy of mine, the pastor, his name is Valery, he says, I would like to make a delivery to Kiev. We had received a cry from people there for the last three or four weeks, there's, Hunger, people are going to the stores, there's no food, the supply lines are broken, can we deliver some food? So we talked to several organizations, we authorized 11 vehicles, 11 minivans, we got several people from our church and several other churches that took a first convoy. They went into Ukraine, they were going to wherever they can get. Their desire was to possibly get to Kiev if it's still possible. they made it to Kiev. two vans made it to uh, Kharkov, which was right near the border of Russia, the city that they were not able to take. And then our vans returned and we were happy that all our boys are safe. And then the news started to come out, literally within days. The name Bucha became very famous. It's a suburb of Kiev. The name of a, of a city called Irpen, we all knew it, that became very famous. In the town of Erpen was a Christian center for Mission Eurasia that for three weeks as the Russians were there occupying, they were burning Bibles and New Testaments for three weeks in a row in a yard and eventually blew up the building before they withdrew. But Valery called me and said, Pastor Evgeny, have you heard of this town called Bucha? I've never heard of it. The news hasn't made it to Moldova yet. He says, well, have you heard of that place where they killed a lot of people? And we knew there was a, one of the theological professors who was killed there on the street. I heard of that. He says, you won't believe. We didn't even know it, but we were there just as Russians pulled out. We just delivered it to the church that was on outskirts, and the church was able to serve people as the Russians pulled out. Where was God in the middle of this pain? When we cried literally for the death of our brother who was senselessly killed on the street of Bucha. God was there. He was helping his people. He was letting his people be the blessing to the people in town until the world came to aid. And that was because of our friendship and our partnership and your generosity. Where is God in the midst of evil? Well, God is the source of hope in the midst of evil. You see, when Jesus speaks about this, I like the verse 30. In verse 30, it's kind of interesting that He actually points out what is really the heart of the matter. But if God so clothes the grass of the fields, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And here's the key. O ye of little faith. You see, it's the faith matter. Sometimes we think the righteousness that Jesus talks about, it's really our personal righteousness and our personal works of good. But we know that you cannot be saved through the works. He says, it's really all the matter of faith. Really, do you believe that God is there with you? You know, it's easy to believe that God is with you when everything is going great, when the bank account is safe, when the kids are healthy, when the schools are great, when the sun is coming out. When the coffee smells awesome in the morning, it's easier to believe when things go well. But what about faith when we are facing the life troubles? Do we truly believe that he is that source of our well-being? Oh ye of little faith. And then he basically says do not be like Gentiles because that's the way they do. They don't have faith, they don't have God, they don't have God the Father. And he says, Your father in heaven, Potter Ammon in Hebrew, uh, I mean in Greek, in Hebrews, Abba Father. When Jesus speaks through the Sermon on the Mount, it's about him. When you look at the whole passage, when the whole, the whole sermon, it's really all about Christ. He starts with the words, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And sometimes we don't notice. is very different from the old testament when there is a promise blessed will be the poor in spirit but he begins to teach his disciples who are gathered there and he says blessed are the poor in spirit he tells them i am here that long-awaited messiah and he begins to correct moses he begins to talk about the scriptures like nobody's ever told before he begins to talk about the righteousness He confronts hypocrisy and then he teaches them about faith and in the end it says they were so much in awe of the way Jesus taught because he taught as the one with authority. And it's really all about do we trust God as the source of our lives? Do not be like the Gentiles. You see if it's faith then the greatest example of faith would be probably we start with Abraham. He is the... Sample of faith. I don't know if that's the proper English word, but forgive me. Because in Romans it says, he, he be, Abraham in hope believed against hope. In Romans 4.18. In hope he believed against hope. He was promised that he's going to be the father of many nations. He was told your offspring is going to be and he didn't weaken in faith. It's really all about trusting God. That's the key. No unbelief made him waver. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. So the father is in focus. So we see Jesus talking about God's being the source. He talks about himself in the present time. He corrects Moses, which nobody would ever dare. He clarifies the scripture like nobody's ever done before. He's talking about God the Father as Abba, as Daddy. And he talks about when you practice your righteousness, as you help the poor, as you pray, as you fast, you will go through these passages as you gather the treasures in heaven. And then he says, but in all this, he's taking his listeners to this key place. He says, it's all about me. It's all about the kingdom. It's all about believing in, on Jesus. This guy came up to me at one of the largest... Refugee centers actually it was the largest refugee center that housed about 2,000 people at a time and about 4,000 people throughout 24 hours The overflow came there and as I came with a couple bags of food and I had about Close to hundred plus bags in the back of my car We were working with the center supplying them from the very beginning an organization gave me these bags and said you can give it to people who are Traveling I didn't even have to make a step away from the car this guy on the right his name is Herman in a red little vest, he comes up and grabs me and he says, what is this food for? What is this? Like, that's food for people. For people to travel? So he's, a, he's an Austrian. He works for a non-Christian organization. He's not a believer himself. He uses profanity a lot. He comes up and says, I have a bus of people here. They will be going to the border of Germany and France. 24, uh 48-hour travel. We only have one meal for them. Can you give them some food? So we went and distributed on the bus and I felt like, well, you know what, I I do need to be able to just say something. So I started screaming on this double-decker bus and I started praying for people and I blessed them and I don't think anybody heard me. I walked off and he says, do you have more food? I said, we can get you more food. I got two buses tomorrow, so we came tomorrow. I go on the first bus, we give people the food, and I'm thinking, there's just no way. It just doesn't make sense. How can I share the gospel with all these people? So I actually just, just gave the food and started going to the second bus. Herman ran up to me and grabbed me and says, did you do your prayer? No. You need to go, you come with me. He brings me to the bus, grabs a microphone with this kind of wire. Boom, boom, boom. Do your prayer and just walks off. 130 plus buses since over a year. Over 10,000 people transferred to Western Europe. Herman is not a believer. Every time he sees me, ah, my favorite Christian fanatics are here. But you know what? I'm a seminary president and I took classes and I've been challenged to share the gospel in 60 seconds. Last time I was here, we went to Murray's to talk about Moldova and one of the gentlemen, his first question was, would you share the gospel? I stood there on spot and thinking, yeah, I can do that because I've done that and I tortured my students a little bit too. Have you ever been given that task? Share the gospel in 60 seconds. I think the student. I thought that was one of the craziest assignments. I didn't like it, but I made. I decided I'm going to give this to my students. They all did it. I never knew I'm going to have to practice it, because you're standing there with this microphone and you're thinking, "Wait a second, I have an open ear. Everybody's going to hear me." And so I prayed, and I shared the gospel, and people went on. Ten thousand plus people. It's all about faith. Sometimes you can feed people, but if you don't share the gospel, what is the goal? I'm gonna shift the gears here without turning a blinker. So we are in an age of um, technology. So. If you have your cell phone, your iPhone or your Android phone, your smartphone that sometimes is definitely, mine is much smarter than me sometimes, would you pull it out? I love sharing the stories. I love preaching the word and I take this opportunity to to share more stories but I wanna finish back with the word of God. But if you would like to keep hearing the stories, if you would like to stay in touch with us, you're not gonna bother me, it's on silence. It's very smart, it says focus, don't disturb you can send me your email and your name or a Facebook connection and say, I would like, you know, just, 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 just your, your name and your phone number. Send that as a text message, I'm gonna add you to the mailing list and you're gonna hear some of these things firsthand from the field. But as you're doing this, I wanna go back to this big refugee center. Because from the day one, when I mentioned that we were able to set up the safety road for the people coming from Ukraine and realizing that people who are coming through the border are women and children, we realize that we need to be able to work with them and provide them safety by not allowing them to be trafficked by the human traffickers. Because that's just the first thing that started happening. That was the motivator even behind this Austrian organization. They wanted to get people into safety. But you see, the first month everybody showed up. The first three months the big organizations were there. But three months later, some larger organizations started pulling out. Then some smaller organizations started pulling out. Six months later, we're finding that the Christians are the only ones who are the front lines. We're still at the border. We're still working with this biggest refugee center. We're still there to this day. This is a month plus, a year plus of war. The question is, why? Are Christians still there? Why are we still on the front lines? And I just decided to think about that and it dawned on me. Jesus, which is it's all about him, he was a refugee. His family had to flee early on in their life to Egypt. Mald- we as Christians, we're aliens and strangers in this world. And so we identify with people who are being kicked out of their homes. And moreover, in Eastern Europe, Christianity, Protestantism is, we are the minority. So we always feel for those people. And we understand that we, we just like them, are strangers and aliens. So doing all this from the tents, to the transportation, to the refugee centers, to feeding them, to providing them safety, passage and continuing to today our churches are filled with ukrainians church in orhe which is just 35 minutes north of the capital city we were planting it we were working with our church planter he's a second year student in the seminary he reached about five people he had one girl that came to know know the lord and got baptized he had a room by faith that could fit 30 people and he started serving ukrainians and today that room with 30 people gets filled every sunday with 70 to 80 people coming to worship jesus who had never heard the gospel before who are ukrainian and so this leads me to the verse 33 matthew 6:33, seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you but wait a second when you practice your righteousness doesn't that isn't this the way the chapter starts? But here it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So in him being the source, it is the faith matter and the faith is in the coming Messiah and the Messiah who says, blessed are the poor in spirit because the Messiah is here now. And then he's challenging his disciples as he concludes, seek First, the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Are you allowing the Word of God to shape you today? Are you allowing the Word of God to come into your heart today so that when the evil day comes, you're prepared and the Holy Spirit will enlighten that Word of God. And your faith is strong and you're able to go through knowing God will be my provision he is going to take care of me no matter what he is my source and when i practice righteousness it's his righteousness and i will be seeking his kingdom first are you laying the foundation in your heart and mind are you laying the foundation that will allow you for your house to stay strong as jesus concludes that sermon on the mount are you laying that foundation so that When the troubles come, your heart doesn't waver. It's the faith matter. So that your mind doesn't start drifting because it drifts toward the word of God and knowledge that it's Jesus. There's a passage that I really like. It's a key passage for our ministry. It's James 1.27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstrained from the world. My question is... Is your religion pure? Are you seeking his kingdom first? You see, when it's all said and done, if you go to the end of times, Jesus talks about it in another sermon in Matthew 25. He says, when he comes and he is crowned as king and he sits and rules, he's gonna separate believers and he says those who of you who are blessed by the father by the Abba coming to the kingdom he says because when I was in need he says I was hungry and you gave me food I was thirsty you gave me a drink I was a stranger you welcomed me I was naked you clothed me I was sick and you visited me I was in prison and you came to me and they asked Jesus when did we do this Truly I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of this, my brothers, you did it to me. Redeemer, you have been a blessing to the Ukrainian people in ways you probably don't even know yet. But sometimes you have to bring it back and bring it home and realize Christ alone is the source of our righteousness. Without him, we are dead. Without Him we have no hope, it's because He came, He made us alive, we have a chance to believe. Christ alone is the one who will give peace to your heart if you are going through a hardship today. It's Christ alone who is the source of our faith. Redeemer, would you stand with me as we pray and praise this Jesus Christ who is the one who is uniting his body and who is right here next to each and every single one of us, next to every Ukrainian child, next to every Ukrainian woman, next to every Ukrainian defender, next to every Moldovan volunteer, next to every single one of you. And he says, will you seek my kingdom first because everything else will be added to you. Jesus. We thank you that you are our source. We thank you that you are a firm foundation. We thank you that your word can be trusted, that it never fails, that in the times of trouble, you are there, that in the times of difficulties, you are there, in the times of joy, you are there. And Jesus, we thank you for the faith that you have given us, that we can have this eternal hope, We can have this hope about the coming kingdom where you're going to come and appear. You will say, come into my Father's kingdom. Lord, thank you for uniting us with your spirit. And we want to worship you and bless
0: you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.